Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You are listening to the Hiking Radio Network, where we talk the walk with shows by hikers about hikers for everybody. I'm wondering if you'd go wandering with me through the wilderness and woods to where the winds are blowing free through the darkness of the night. Welcome to the Jester Section Hiker Podcast, where we talk about the continual pursuit of the section hiker. And I'll spread the word and you beat the drum. We'll round up the troops and get the gang to come. Welcome to the Jester Section Hiker Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Jester Gayhart, and this is the podcast where we talk about the continual pursuit of the section hiker and what it takes to complete a trail section by section. For me, it took 12 years to section hike the Appalachian Trail from June of 2006 until July of 2017. I'm an educator by day, but a hiker at heart. I'll hike north, south, backpack, slack pack, day hike, or even these days, glamp to get the job done. Welcome everyone to the first episode of the Jester Section Hiker Podcast. I am really excited to be hosting this podcast specifically about section hikers. I'd like to thank everyone who has reached out to me to be on the podcast and willing to share their stories. There are some amazing section hikers out there, and I can't wait for all of you to hear about who they are. I'd like to thank Steve, or as you all know him, as Mighty Blue, and the Hiking Radio Network for having the vision for this podcast, and to the Okie Dokie Brothers for letting us use their song, Through the Woods, as our podcast theme song. There will be more on the Okie Dokie Brothers in a future episode. Kevin Cyrus joins us for our debut episode on the Jester Section Hiker Podcast. Kevin Purple Pilgrim started the Appalachian Trail on April 18, 1992 at 21 years old with the intentions of through hiking the trail, but he ended up completing the trail in two back-to-back summer sections. I'm excited to have Kevin on as our first guest because Kevin is part of my journey on the Appalachian Trail and the first AT hiker I had a direct connection with, but we have never talked until now. Because my dad was friends with Kevin and talked about hiking with Kevin, a spark lit in me that one day I would start hiking the AT. Kevin became my AT inspiration. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thanks for having me, Julie. I'm excited to be here as well. Thank you. Well, hopefully, since this is the first time you and I are really chatting, besides uh, a couple weeks ago on the phone, I'm really excited for the listeners to find out who you are, find out about your journey, and how the AT has actually, you know, changed who you are. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. So, 
Let's just start off, Kevin. How did you hear about the Appalachian Trail and what made you decide to set out for a hike? All right. Well, I, I think I was around 17 years old. It was my junior year in high school. And my dad showed me an article in a um, Reader's Digest. And, you know, I, I don't know what it was about it or, but uh, seemed like, you know, I read it. And right then and there, I mean, I knew that one day I would hike the trail. It just, um, I don't know, just everything about it, you know, just kind of the romance of it, the, the nature aspect to it and the adventure of it. It just really caught my uh, attention. And I just really, it seemed like I didn't, you know, I don't remember having a point where, you know, I thought, you know, I should do this. It seemed like I just, from reading that article, it seemed like I just knew that one day I would hike the trail. It, that sounds familiar. It's just something that gets in your gut. When you decide you're going to hike the AT, it's just something that burns inside of you and you have to do it. Certainly. Yes, ma'am. So that trail name, Purple Pilgrim, how did you get your trail name, Kevin? Well, I guess a couple things is I, um, you know, started buying gear, of course, and uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't plan to buy a lot of purple gear, but it, it just kind of happened. I, uh, I bought a, a uh, Camp Trails backpack and it seemed like I started buying, uh, you know, my outerwear, uh, you know, this was early 90s so you know the i think uh color schemes you know were big back then were uh like fuchsias and teal greens and purples and i remember i bought a a columbia pullover that had like all those colors in it and so uh bought other gear that just happened to have purple in it oh my goodness you hit the trail and people were like whoa what's coming up the trail sure so i was just all purpled out for whatever reason it just happened that way but then in the same token the uh, the other part of it is why I say the pilgrim in particular is like a lot of people, you know, I grew up in church and uh, in a Christian home, but I got uh, got up in my, I would say teen years, but actually even a little bit younger, I started smoking pot and started doing drugs and uh, and drinking and all that probably when I was about 12. And so, you know, I uh, started living a pretty wild lifestyle and that was kind of who I, who I was. And um I was planning the trail or planning to hike the AT as a, as a, I guess, a big partier, you know, if you will. Right. And right. Uh, somebody who, you know, who lives that lifestyle. And uh, about a month before I went out, I just had, uh, this God was working on my heart as I was planning it and I was, I was anticipating it. And I was, you know, I was nervous, of course, uh, uh, nervous excitement, you know, with anticipation, but, um, there were just some things that happened to where God just really spoke to me and uh, I accepted him and just, I realized that the truths of the Bible that I was brought up in, you know, were exactly that they were truths. And so I just totally changed who I was and my outlook on life. And I just realized that, you know, life is a pilgrimage and we're, we're all going, you know, somewhere. And, uh, and the trail of course is, you know, the ultimate pilgrimage and adventure. And uh, I just kind of decided before I went, you know, I, I had read about people going on the trail and doing different things that where they earn trail names, so to speak. Right. But I just kind of, I just knew I was again with all that purple gear and my new outlook on life. I uh, just kind of thought I'm, I'm the purple pilgrim and I, and I have been ever since I've got a friend that calls me purple or pilgrim and Lori always refers to me as her purple pilgrim and just who I am. I think it's great, well, especially you. all that purple gear. The pil So the trail was calling you, God was calling you, and it was time for you to uh, step your foot on uh, the Appalachian Trail and head to Springer Mountain. That's right. And um, we talked about your first trip up to Springer Mountain, and Kevin, you took a zero day the very next day. I did. That, yeah. That's, that's kind of unusual. <laughs> yeah, I did. So, uh, <laughs> so you started the trail on Springer Mountain. 
you took a zero day the very next day. Did you have that planned or did that just happen? You know, it's uh I really don't remember if I planned it. I do know that, you know, of course, to get up to the shelter, you know, Springer was was a bit of a hike. I don't remember what it was, but uh so you know, I've, I've thought that was a day of hiking, and then the next this was a Saturday. The next day was Easter Sunday, and I thought, you know what, I'm I'm going to just enjoy the holiday. I'm going to take the day off, lay around, enjoy the shelter, right, and all that good stuff. And uh, so again, I guess it just kind of happened. I really didn't plan it, but I got up there and just decided to chill right away. And I think you know, like, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll later get into it. Well, Kevin, most people are so excited they don't chill on the first day. That is crazy, but that's that's kind of I'm just uh, I guess that low key, and uh, I'm all about chilling, and that's probably why. Again, when it's all said and done, you know, the Appalachian Trail did end up taking me nine and a half months. And uh, I'm going to say that's it, that was right from the beginning. That, that was my start. And that's the way I continued throughout the trail. A lot, lot of off days, a lot of zero days, as you said. A lot of zero days. And, and we'll get into some of that. I have, of all the hikers I've met, I've never met anyone that took zero day basically on the second on the first day right, like, right everyone's so excited to get up to springer mountain or katahdin at the other end sure it's like most people are ready to do 20 miles and people are going slow down slow down right. and uh not you kevin nope nope so, uh, <laughs> i was just glad i was just glad to be there which which is going to lead us down the path where basically you started off with the intentions of a through hike, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I, I had, uh, you know, from everything I read about through hikers and all that, it seemed like uh, five and, you know, six months was the uh, kind of the standard. And, and I really assumed that I would do it within six months. Starting on uh, April 18th, I thought I could be up there by, you know, October, I guess, something to that effect. And I really had every intention of doing the whole thing that first summer. Well, I'm glad you didn't because you're my first guest on the Section Hiker podcast. So uh, there you go. <laughs> right, right on. See, that works. You didn't out. know that was going to happen 27 years later, now, did you? Exactly. Had no idea, <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad it did, though, certainly. So basically, you hit the trail on Springer Mountain. You took that zero day, and you mentioned you hung out in towns a lot. You, you started staying in towns, and then those days started adding up. So what made you stay in town so much? Well, you know, I, um, it seemed like they were comfortable, you know, they were comfortable. They were just kind of, uh, you know, well, you know, of course, how the trail towns are. They just have, you know, they have a vibe to them. You know, they're just neat places. And two, you know, just I love it down south and uh, just totally different world than, you know, where I live, of course, up here in Ohio. Right. And so every everything about it was just, you know, was just cool. And I just wanted to be there and uh, was enjoying the food, you know, eating lots of ice cream, of course. And uh and just the hostels, staying in these hostels were just neat environments. And I uh, I just couldn't get enough of them. So I just stuck around. Do you remember like your first trail town, your first hostel you stayed at, the people that were there, the vibe? Do you remember that? Well, you know, I guess the first hostel, I, I really don't remember. But I do remember the first town, I think, that really had the gravity that I ended up staying for, you know, days, if not about a week was um, Hot Springs uh, North Carolina. Oh yeah, and uh, that was a. They had a. I think it was a hostel run by. Uh, I believe back then it was run by a church, maybe a Catholic church. I really don't remember, but it just had a homey feel to it, and uh, the people around there were nice. And again, you know, obviously Hot Springs is a cool little town. So again, that was one. I'm thinking I might have stayed, you know, somewhere around probably five days and just kind of hung out, and it was good. Were the Hot Springs actually open back then? Were you able to go down to the Hot Springs area and actually get in the Hot Springs and enjoy all that aspect of it? 
You know, honestly, I don't remember. I'm thinking they probably were and why I wouldn't have done that. I really don't know, you know, having a town named after him. But I'm thinking honestly, that, that that may have been what kept you in town. Yeah, no, I was just hanging out and eating. I think eat a lot of good food and uh, just enjoying just being there. But uh, yeah, honestly, I really don't believe I went down to the uh, to the springs. So would you say you started out as a man on a mission, a, ca- a more casual, you know, hiker, you know, you leave out of hot springs. Like what's your vibe? What's Kevin's vibe on the trail? What would people say, you know, that were coming across to you? Well, you know, I think it, it was, you know, again, it was, it was very laid back. I, uh, I had every intention, you know, of, of hiking and completing it that summer, but in the same token, it seemed like somewhere along the trail, I just, I uh, accepted or kind of came up with the motto of, you know, it's all part of the adventure. So, you know, kind of wherever I go, whatever I do, you know, whoever I meet, uh, it's, it's all part of the adventure. So I just, uh, and I, and again, that's really how it, uh, you know, ended up taking so long. I was having so much fun. I didn't want to rush it. I, uh, I was in no hurry to complete it. I was, it was all about just being there. And uh, so really I, I do, I remember specifically, I just kind of, you know, I thought, you know, I'm just going to throw out my schedule. I'm just going to take my time. And, you know, when I get there, I get there. And uh, whatever happens, happens. Exactly. It's all part of the adventure. Now, were you hiking around? Did you have nowadays the hiker, the through hikers that are out there and section hikers that are out there, even section hikers that are out there for a while? Did you have a trail family? Were you hiking around some buddies or were you more solo? Well, you know, I, um, I teamed up with a guy just just the other side of Springer when I finally did start hiking a couple of days later. <laughs> I'm gonna laugh about that and, for uh, a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never really even thought about it to tell you the truth, but uh, it's, it's a good point. But uh, I did. I, I met up with a guy, and we uh, we ended up being together, I believe, for a couple weeks. And uh, he was he was a bit older than me, and I remember he had bad knees, and he was uh, he was slow going, and we eventually, you know, it got separated. And uh, we never did hook back up again. I think he had to take a couple off days because of his knees. And actually, I did keep hiking then. And then, uh, but that said, and then later, I'm not sure where I was, but I met another guy from a uh, guy from Kingston, Ohio. And he was as well as a few years older than me. But, uh, but we became uh, hiking partners and we were together for, I'm, I'm going to say a couple months, uh, called himself Peppermint Slim. Oh, no. and, okay. Uh, That's one I haven't heard. Yeah, pe- good old Peppermint Slim from Kingston, Ohio. And uh, yeah, we were together for quite some time. And then we would, we would see uh, some of the same people. But again, with with my pace, because even then, besides the off days, you know, I wasn't into, you know, big mileage. I was doing eight mile days, 10, 12 mile days and stuff like that. And so, you know, there was a lot of folks that were hiking on. And so I was as really, I guess, as every day goes by, every week goes by, I'm father, I'm falling further and further behind the pack, you know, the main push. Kevin, for, uh, you were bottom. soaking it all in eight mile days. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I was in no hurry whatsoever. <laughs> I just think that's the coolest thing. So now we've, now we've established Kevin's pattern. He likes to hang out in towns. He's got an eight to 10 mile a day. Pay. I think 10 miles might be stretching it at this point. So it might be. Yeah. when did you decide or when did that decision have to be made that, your hike was going to turn into a longer hike. Maybe not even back then did they call people section hikers. 
when did you make the decision? Because there was a point in your hike that you flipped up to Katahdin and somewhere along the way, you had to have known you were not going to finish that season. So when did that sure. decision start brewing up in your mind? And then I want to talk about how you got to Katahdin. Okay, sure. You know, I think really as far as um, the idea to to uh, flip-flop came probably from other hikers. I, uh, you know, again, I, I was just doing my thing and really not thinking much about it. And I was, you know, talking to other people as I'm going along, you know, staying in shelters with other people and kind of, you know, telling them about my thing. And they'd mention, you know, whatever the next day was. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to just take the day off and, <laughs> and hang out or whatever. Are you and, ready uh, to so, go back out there again? Cause I think I'm going with you. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Hey, and, and we'd get it done eventually. Yes, as we long would. As you yes, were we no, would. We would. But uh, so I did. I think other folks started saying, saying, you know, you're not going to make it to Katahdin by, you know, whatever time. And I just didn't think much about it or, or really care. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm just going to keep going. And uh, and so then at some point, though, I did realize, though, and at this point, I'm still intending to do it all in one season. But I did realize I was going to need to do a flip flop. And I thought, uh, you know, because I, I knew if I didn't, you know, it was going to be up and well up in October. I knew Katahdin could get closed, I think, what, potentially in September or something because yeah, of weather. Yeah, September. I think now it's even this time of year, mid-October, they're looking at the snow. And they it, Katahdin might stay up until the end of October. I'm not sure. I don't remember. At one point, it was October 15th. But, yeah, so you're getting close to the snow zone. And in your mind, you're yeah. like, all right, I got to get to Katahdin. Certainly. Yeah. I just, you know, I didn't want to chance it. So I thought, and again, cause uh, it was all good. I thought I don't have a preference whether I'm hiking North or South and, and the same token too, I thought, well, this is going to be a new added part to, of the adventurers to head on up the main and start hiking back South. You know, I thought that sounded pretty cool as well. So I did, I decided to flip flop and uh, this would have been in July. So I came off the trail in Parisburg, Virginia, and I started hitchhiking. And Kevin, I hear Parisburg, Virginia and I go, um, Kevin, that's not that far. So in your mind, oh, yeah, yeah, when you say- exactly, I do. Right. No, you're right. I, I still had a long you way still had to a go. Long way to go. So most people, when they decide to make the decision, again, we're learning about Kevin and his pace and his mojo up the trail. When they do, made the decision, oh my goodness, I got to flip. All of a sudden the schedule comes out. I got to do this. I got to do that. And most people hop on a plane and you know, somehow end up somewhere in Maine, get a car ride, and they're on Katahdin. So, Kevin, how'd you get to Katahdin? I hitchhiked. I hitchhiked from Parisburg. And, uh, but first, I, I took a detour uh, again because my schedule allowed for it. So, so I, uh, I hitchhiked. <laughs> Kevin, you know? Kevin's calendar. That's what I'm going to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Or my lack of schedule yeah. allowed for it. So, <laughs> so yeah, I did. I, I hitchhiked over to, uh, I've got an older brother who lives close to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So, how many hitches from Perrysburg to Philadelphia? You know that I can't imagine, but you know, I, actually, somewhere just outside of when I had started in Perrysburg, I caught a ride that took me maybe, oh man, it took me a long ways. It took me, um, oh, and I wish I could say for sure, but I can't. But I did catch one ride that took me probably two thirds of it. Wow. And, uh, you know, got me up there pretty close. It was a young guy who was going to uh, Virginia Tech and uh, going to college there. And he was going home for the weekend. And he wanted, you know, somebody just to ride with him and talk to and all that. So he did. He picked me up and he took me all the way up to, I believe his family lived maybe in Maryland. And uh, okay. so I hitched it. 
And so that was cool too, because uh, I went and met his family and it was kind of funny too, you know, because he brings me in there to meet his family. And so they, of course, think he's bringing up, bringing a friend home, you know, from college, you know, to stay the weekend. And he's like, you know, mom and dad, I picked him up hitchhiking, you know, and, yeah, and again, I'm tagged. He says he's out hiking the Appalachian Trail, but. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was his story and he was sticking to it, you know, but uh, so he did. So he took me home and I, um, I spent, uh, spent the night with them and they were really good to me and fed me and all that good stuff, of course. But then I did, I hitched, I hitchhiked from there over to uh, my brother's house and I ended up staying there probably about a week. And from there, a buddy of mine wanted to join me on the trail, a childhood friend of mine, Mikey. And so he caught a bus and he met me there in Pennsylvania and we started hitchhiking for uh, Katahdin. And that took us probably another, I'm going to say we probably took another, you know, maybe five days to hitchhike to uh, Katahdin from there. And uh, kind of a lot of rides, a lot of rides, met a lot of good people. I'm going to have to have you back on just to specifically, sounds like it was five, six, seven, eight days from Perrysburg up to Katahdin. So most people in their mind, Kevin, are going, oh, my God, I could be hiking those eight days. I could be doing X, Y, Z. But now we've learned not Kevin. He's uh, he's up for the adventure no matter what. Right. (laughs) Certainly. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah, it was it was a blast. The hitchhike. And, you know, that's really that is something going into the hike. I knew that I would um, I would be hitchhiking into towns for mail drops and all that. But uh, I guess I never knew how much I would like it. And. so again, these, my big, my big hitches, you know, say up there. And then for that matter, even when I, when I came off the trail later, when I went home for, for the winter, which we had talked about, you know, there, which I'm sure we'll get to, but Bear Mountain, I hitchhiked from Bear Mountain back home to uh, Ohio then as well. And again, that was a blast and just met some amazing people, you know, it was a good time. Part of the journey, part of the journey. That's right. So at this point, you're at Katahdin. Do you remember thinking, all right, I need to get my acting gear and start hiking south, get organized, get it together? Or is the Purple Pilgrim, we still know, going from Katahdin, hanging out in towns, you know, doing his thing. What What's happening once we get to Katahdin? Yeah, um, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty much the same mentality. I, I just started walking, you know, and... Uh, just taking it all in. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was long before I started, uh, you know, having them zero days again and, uh, hanging out at some cool shelters. I I can't say, you know, specifically what shelters really impressed me, but I I do remember some absolutely beautiful shelters saying a hundred mile wilderness, of course, and, uh, just wherever else. And I would, I'd, I'd hang out, you know, and just enjoy being there. And so I was, I was pretty much, uh, you know, same old, same old style hiking, uh, South as I was North. (laughs) Which is not surprising at this point. So right. we get through uh, Maine, we get through New Hampshire, get down into Vermont and all that good stuff. So take us through when you had to make the decision, uh, this is not going to happen this year. You know, I think it was pretty late to tell you the truth. I, I really believe that even as late as probably October, within maybe two weeks of me coming off the trail, I still thought I was, you know, hiking back to Parisburg that season. But again, you know, we're, we're up, up in October now and, and I am down in, uh, like you had said, like, say, Vermont and all that. And I am seeing less and less people. And there are no no more northbounders, of course. And uh, pretty much the only people on the trail are um, 
you know, at the state parks and so on, just uh, day hikers and, you know, our weekenders and stuff like that. So there's no uh, long distance backpackers. So it was kind of, it was getting to be just kind of a, I don't want to say a lonely place, but it was just different. It had a totally different vibe, of course. Right. And, uh, and I just realized that, uh, again, getting up in October and it was getting cold and, and I knew how, you know, still how far I had to go. It was like a long way. But Kevin, were point. you actually thinking about it at this point? I had to. Yeah, okay. at this point I did because it was getting cold. And again, there was nobody else out there for the most part. So how many months in was that? So that was six months? That was like six okay. months in. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So yeah. in your mind, what made you decide Bear Mountain, New York? You know, I don't remember. I don't know if it was a date thing uh, because I came off. I came off on Halloween on October 31st. And I don't remember if I had set the goal for, uh, you know, say for that date or for that place. I'm really not sure why it, why it was then and there. And maybe it was. Maybe it was just October. I thought, uh, you know, to be out here in November was was maybe pushing it. And I thought, uh, you know, I'd just come off at the last of October and and come back next spring. I'm assuming it probably just happened that way. All right. So you're off the trail, you go home. And one of the things we talked about is I asked you, well, what did you do when you got home? Were you like really, really, really thinking about the trail? Were you, now I, I throw this word out there, planning to go back to the trail? <laughs> or what was going on in Kevin's mind once you got home? Yeah. Yeah. As far as thinking about the trail, yes. Yeah. I, I thought about it, you know, just continuously. And it was like, um, like just being home for the weekend, so to speak, right. even though it was a long, long weekend. It's like my heart, you know, the whole time from the moment I came off the trail, you know, I, I knew that I was coming back, had no doubts whatsoever. And so it's kind of like almost something I just had to do. So, so I, I enjoyed, you know, I was there for, you know, of course, Christmas and Thanksgiving and all that. So I, I was really enjoyed my family time and all that. But I, you know, I kept walking, I uh, was walking city streets, a lot of city streets and stuff versus, uh, you know, trails and all that ended up getting tendonitis in my hip. And I think it's just from all that even to even ground, you know, just all that continuous pounding the pavement and all that ended up getting tendonitis and had to take off uh, maybe a couple of weeks then of uh, my tr training. I'm gonna yeah, call didn't it. you tell me at one point you ended up on crutches or, or having to, I did, yeah, yeah with it. Yeah, with the tendonitis, I did. I, I ended up because uh, I needed to rest it, of course. So I ended up hobbling around there on crutches, and that was actually that was there in the spring, probably within you know a month of going back. It was getting real close to you know actually going back to the trail when the, the tendonitis hit me, and I had to kind of take a break before I hit the trail again. So you're gearing up, you're amping up to go back out again. So the first section I'm going to call "Good Times, Kevin." And then the second <laughs> section. <laughs> I, like, I like that. <laughs> so the first section, Good Times Kevin, lead us into the second section. You went back the very next season or the very next summer and um, yes, started in, um, I'm assuming, Bear Mountain, New York, and went south, correct? Correct. Yep, I did. I went straight back to uh, where I came off, you know, there at Bear Mountain. And this time, instead of hitchhiking, I did have a uh, had a buddy and a friend of his, uh, another childhood friend of mine, drove me. They they uh, drove me back to Bear Mountain, and I got back on the trail and started hiking south. I think right away after getting back on the trail was, um, I believe it was Greylock. It's a uh, there's a monastery. I don't know if that's something that's still there, but there's a actually Greylock is in Massachusetts, but there is a monastery in New York, and I cannot okay. remember the name of it, but I know exactly where you're talking about because I actually camped 
at that monastery. I just don't know the name of it. Right before you go over the bridge. Yeah, it was right there, yeah. right by Bear Mountain. I yeah. remember it was very close. Yeah. And you say, okay, yeah. So, and back then too, tell me, I don't know if it was the case when you were there, but back then they would actually let hikers stay in a, a room for the night. They would take you in for the night, oh. feed you a meal. And it was, it was okay. amazing. And they were a bunch of uh, Franciscan friars, I believe is what they were. Yeah. The Graymore uh, Friary. That is exactly what it is. Graymore. Graymore okay, Friary. There you go. All right. So, thank you. Yeah. When I went through there, we stayed in like a uh, ball field with a big picnic pavilion. They had picnic tables and all kinds of stuff out there. So yeah, so uh, Graymore Friary, really nice place. But I don't remember, I don't remember it being open for hikers. That's not to say it wasn't, but we just kind of camped sure. out in the ball field. Sure, right on. All right, so take us from there. So good time, Kevin. Round two. Okay, yes, ma'am. So yeah, my uh, my buddy Larry, one of my best friends, who had again dropped me off back there at Bear Mountain, he uh, he had went home, and uh, he couldn't stop thinking about the trail and the fact that I was out there, <laughs> and and that and that he wasn't, you know, and he's a he's a big outdoorsman, and uh, we're really close. We've been friends since we were kids. What's Larry's just, last name? Uh, Matheny. Okay, okay. I didn't know if he was uh, if I knew him or not. So probably not, huh? Well, you know, I, uh, back in the day, say, you know, with the manual, of course, where we both went to church, I did take him probably a time or two. So I'm, I'm assuming you would have, would have seen him at some point. At probably, least. unless I was out being rebellious and doing, Let's doing see, things right. I shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> exactly. Well, there, there's that too, right? It could have been the case. Yeah. All right. So get us down the trail. Yeah. Bear Mountain down through, you know, Pennsylvania, all that good stuff. Is Larry with you at this point? Yeah, at this point, actually, so Larry, again, he uh, can't stop thinking about the trail, and he wants to be out there with me. So he, um, again, I think gets a bus ticket, whatever the case is, gets himself there, and he meets me at uh, Delaware Water Gap. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then, again, there was a church, and the, the church, uh, like downstairs in the basement, or they had a facilities next to the church built onto it or something, but they had an area where, you know, again, kind of a hostel, so to speak, where uh, hikers can, you know, crash for the night. So uh, he met me there and we were there maybe a night or two. And then we started hiking and uh, he was with me for like a month. And I think it took us about a month to cross uh, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. So did he take on the good times Kevin vibe or what? what's the vibe now on the trail is when you're hiking with him and you guys are going through Pennsylvania? Yeah, you know, he uh, he did. He was uh, I think he was cool with my schedule. But in the same token, Larry's kind of a uh, he's kind of a motivated. I don't know. I almost say just a hardcore kind of guy. And I think he would have he would have been cool with uh, with bigger mileage and and maybe pushing it a bit more. But uh, I guess he knew he was, uh, you know, just there to be with me. And we were we were just hanging out. And uh, so we did. We pretty much kept the same easy schedule. I had a lot of fun together. That was a real blessing to have him with me. Do you remember an event or maybe a town or something in particular that stands out for you and Larry or maybe some other people that you met on the trail? You know, he hadn't been around, say, through hikers and all that, of course. And I remember just some of the people we would meet that were different, of course. And right. uh, he, he got seemed like he just got a kick out of, you know, maybe just the, the oddness of some of it. So that was something I think he appreciated, say, as far as a particular event or place. So no, not not so much. I, I know he was just glad to be there and having a lot of fun. Gotcha. Gotcha. So get us down to Perrysburg, Virginia. How was your finale? Yes, ma'am. Well, I, I had somebody else join me. I had met a woman the summer before that was a section hiker, and uh, her trail name was Shooting Star. Okay. So I had met. 
Yeah, and I really don't even remember where I had uh, met her, but uh, it was somewhere down south. It was before I'd done my flip-flop. So, you know, we kind of, we talked and maybe had spent a night or two in a shelter together and visit a bit and all that. So we, we exchanged information and she was saying that the following year when she was going to do her, I think it was, she was maybe doing two weeks of summer or something to that effect that, uh, and I think for that matter, she hadn't even done, she hadn't been through the area that I had to do to complete it. And she thought that she would just go ahead and, you know, do a flip flop of sorts and do that section with me. Okay. Consider that done. So she, so, so at some point there, a couple weeks out from Perrysburg, uh, she and her son joined me. Okay. And so they, they did, they hiked in those last like two weeks with me and they were there with me, you know, when I completed it. Plus for that matter, my parents uh, drove out from Xenia. Oh, very and, nice. Uh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah they, yeah. they were there to pick me up and bring me home. You so know, you didn't hitchhike home so they, when you were done. <laughs> no, not this time. No, no, ma'am. No, the folks were there with me. And so that was cool. Very good. Very good. Well, that leads us to your trail journals. And a book you're working on from those journals. Tell us about the potential title for your book. Well, I had a couple titles I'd been uh, toying with, and you know, I'd mentioned uh, kind of my mentality and and my motto, so to speak, of it's all part <laughs> of the adventure. That's become very clear, Kevin. We we got it. Yeah, got yeah, it. <laughs> exactly. So I did. I, I thought that would be a, you know a potentially a good title, but but what's really um, and again, kind of goes along with my whole mentality for the hike was uh, uh, Georgia to Maine. Any way it takes, as long as it takes. And uh, I love I it. Kind of wrap. Thank you. That kind of wraps up, you know, exactly who I was and how I hiked. And so I think that, w- that would probably be a fun name. So any way it takes, as long as it takes. I love it. Yes. I love well, it. Thank you. Thank you. So, Kevin, it's been 27 years since you completed the trail. You and I talked about how really there's not been a day that you haven't thought something about the trail. What do you miss about it the most or what memory do you hold on to the most? You know, I'd say as far as what I miss most, just the adventure, the simplicity. It's just an amazing way to live. You know, again, as we talk, you know, the whole, you know, food, water, shelter, of course. Right, right. But, you know, I mean, it's just the everyday, just being out in nature. And, uh, you know, for me, it was it was very spiritual. You know, I was communing with God and enjoying his creation and and I mean, I, if I could hike the trail and get paid to do it, I mean, that, that would be my job. Right. I, uh, I, I, when I finished the trail, it wasn't because, I mean, it was because I'd hiked the trail, but I could have kept hiking. I believe I, I could still be hiking today. You know, if, uh, again, like I said, if I could do it and get paid to do it. Right. I just love being there. And again, the, the adventure, you know, and just always, always a new place, uh, new people, the wildlife, just everything about it is uh is special just having everything that everything you need on your back sure exactly yeah yeah i didn't you know had a backpack full of stuff and you know one t-shirt and a pair of shorts and that's all i needed you know it was great and then as a section hiker you know you go out on these sections and you get home and it's like what in the world do i what is this stuff i have purchased what's around me when you're out when you're used to having things so simple in your life even going, I remember the first time I went out on my first section hike and went into the gas station. It was just like, oh my God, it's so chaotic. Like I can't, I can't even deal with like picking out a candy bar. There's too many. Like, right. It's like culture shock, <laughs> isn't it? You know, it really is. It's, yes, it's bizarre. <laughs> it is bizarre. But for some reason, we love it. Yeah, we do. Can't get enough of it for sure. I think, you know, you think about uh, 
you know, the real world, when you think you're on the trail, you know, or people think, you know, there's that, and then there's a real world, so to speak. And I think, nah, that's, the trail's the real world. And then everything else is, is, you know, that's, that's who's missing out. And, um, you know, just that, that trail lifestyle. I agree. And I, I think that's a good place. The trail is the wor- real world because the trail's the real world for me. Sure. And I think right on. a lot of people would agree. Really appreciate it, Kevin. You and I have got to continue talking. We will certainly. Now, I, I so appreciate you having me on because, again, it's, uh, you know, all these years later, this seemed like this year being my 27th anniversary of it for some reason seemed like is, uh, uh, I've thought a lot more about it this spring than I have, say, at my say 25th anniversary. For some reason, this uh, this season in particular, I remember come April 18th this season, uh, just really thinking about it and just contemplating it. And uh, so that said, I mean, you having me on and just getting to rehash these memories and look through my journals. I'd gotten my journals out, was looking through them, and and it's just uh, it's been a blessing to be a part of it. So so thank you. Not a problem. Anytime. We're going to have you back. And uh, quite honestly, we need to hear more about that uh, hitchhike trip you took and uh, all the trail angels you met along the way for that. A lot of trail angels. A lot of trail angels. So now we've come to the point in the podcast where the guest is going to sign off for all of us by reading their own journal entry statement or a quote that will inspire us to keep hiking section by section. All right. This was uh, written on um, September 13th, uh, 92. I was in uh, Ethan Pond, um, New Hampshire, and my entry for that evening was Ethan Pond is even more beautiful than I expected. We were told that this is one we should hit, and I'm definitely glad we did. Besides its beauty, it's famous for another reason. Lately, it has been visited by a rambunctious bear who isn't afraid of people and really likes their food sacks. Mikey and I have the shelter to ourselves, but there are others at the tent sites. I would be thrilled if the old bear visits tonight, at a safe distance though, of course. Mikey is up at the shelter, trying to start a fire. I'm down here at the pond, kicked back on a boulder, out on the water. This is such a peaceful place. I love it, Kevin. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for being on the podcast, Kevin. It is very evident that your love for the Appalachian Trail shines on even after 27 years. Our next segment of the show is Let's Talk Gear with Steve Kammeyer. I'm excited to introduce you to Steve and look forward to learning more about his insight on gear. Welcome to the first segment of Let's Talk Gear with Steve Kammeyer. If any of you are like me out there, I'm constantly looking at gear updates, the latest gear, and how to get pack weight down and still be comfortable. I am excited to introduce this portion of the podcast because we have found someone who can help us out with our gear. Steve Kammeyer, aka Kiki Outdoors, is one of the Facebook administrators for three of the best Facebook group pages, in my opinion, for backpacking gear, FAQs, and trail talk. He is also an independent rep for several gear companies, including ULA Packs. I personally have bought and sold gear on the flea market site and purchased my most recent day pack directly from Steve. It was an all black ULA Photon Pack, and I love it. He provides his customers with excellent customer service and responds to orders usually within an hour of your request. I hope to have Steve on the show for as long as he wants to chat with us about gear. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. 
Hey, thank you for having me. I am really excited about this. I think this is something that uh, the listeners have been waiting on, especially for the Hiking Radio Network. So we'll just go right into it, Steve. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with managing the three Facebook pages. Well, I think I am, uh, just like the rest of us, I am a lover of all things out outdoors. I, uh, I love to go out and see the sites that you can't necessarily get to by car. And I think we all know that pictures really don't just do everything justice when it comes to the beautiful stuff that we can see out in nature. I totally so, agree with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So hiking kind of becomes an obvious thing. And uh, although I love to hike, I love to put in the miles every day. I am actually at heart, I am a wintertime mountaineer. Uh, you put me someplace above 10,000 feet in freezing cold temperatures, and I feel like that is my happy spot. But as far as me getting into the gear aspect of it, about five years ago, I moved out to Salt Lake City, Utah, which is the mecca when it comes to gear. Uh, there's a lot of the biggest name companies in the business that are located there and have their head headquarters uh, centralized there. Nice. And, and it's the Mecca for hiking, too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the Wasatch Mountains will forever be home to me, for sure. And it was kind of just uh, like the perfect mix of everything, just kind of one of those ultimate culminations of everything. I was in the right place at the right time. I started searching Facebook for the right place to help out some other folks and uh, the flea market just seemed like a great thing to do. And we started it off and uh, yeah, things have just gone crazy in the last five or six years since then. And now we're up to what, 67,000, 68,000 members. And that is unbelievable. When I first saw that, I was like, well, when did this start? And you started back in 2013, right? Correct. Yep. Steve, you've got more people on your Facebook page just on that one particular page, the uh, flea market, and then the frequently asked questions and reviews, you've got, what, about 21,000 on that one? Yeah, yeah, I do uh, I believe so. When we when we first started hammering the uh, flea market really, really hard, it was kind of a, a one-size-fits-all type of a group. You could ask questions about gear, you could buy gear, you could sell gear, you could get other people's um, opinions about gear. But as our membership grew, it just got to be way too much to have in one spot. So now we've kind of we've kind of divided things up a, a little bit. We have the flea market, which is just strictly buying and selling gear only. That's it. There's no opinions. There's no where should I get this or whatever. And that's what the frequently asked questions page is for. That is all gear talk all day, every day, and it is legitimately awesome. There is just nonstop gear talk over there. It is nonstop, and I'm excited because our first segment here, there's a lot of questions about backpacks on that uh, FAQ. And I'll be honest with you, I just know, I just realized you had one called Trail Talk. Correct, correct. Yeah, that's something that we've kind of kept, we, uh, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm totally proud of that one quite yet. <laughs> well, you've got 6,000 members just about on that one. Yeah, we've just been kind of uh, kicking around that one for a while. Uh, that was kind of meant to be. A, a spot for folks to go that aren't necessarily Appalachian Trail hikers or Continental Divide hikers or Pacific Crest Trail hikers to go and maybe find out about some of the small town, small area, lesser known trails. Uh, but then also a trail that maybe you could make as like a destination vacation spot. If you have a week that you can take off of work and you want to go do something completely different, uh, here's a chance that you can maybe head to as a matter of fact, in North Carolina, just a few weeks ago, I had a chance to hike one of the most amazing hikes that I ever have called the Black Mountain Crest Trail. 
And uh, it was just an absolutely awesome trail. And I had never, ever heard of it before. That trail is, it's 12 or 13 miles long, but you go over, I think, six or seven, 6,000 foot peaks. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It is uh, definitely, it's, it's considered the, the highest trail, I guess you could call it, east of the Mississippi River. And yeah, it was six, 6,000 foot peaks. And uh, we ended up at Mount uh, Mitchell, which is the final spot on, on the hike, which is, of course, the highest point east of the Mississippi River. So coming from a mountaineer standpoint where I'm used to hiking 10, 12, 14,000 foot peaks, uh, this was actually really, really cool for me. Nice. Nice. I'm looking forward to you being on the show. So um, I figured we'd just jump right in and uh, talk about what everybody wants to hear about. It's called the big three, the backpack, the tent, and the sleeping bag. For this segment, I thought we'd just focus on the backpack. Honestly, there is so much you could speak on about the pack, but I thought you might be able just to get us started. Maybe there's listeners out there that are day hiking the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail, and they want to get more into the section section hiking status. So just some basic things that people should look for when purchasing a backpack. Well, obviously, I'm a little bit biased to ultralight adventure equipment, ULA backpacks out of Logan, Utah, but I'm going to do my best here to just kind of be really broad in my speaking. Well, I'm kind of biased uh, for that too. I'll be honest with you. I mean, literally for the first probably 10 years of me section hiking the AT, I used a Gregory. And then when I switched over to the ULA pack, love it. So we can be biased if we want on here. So go ahead, Steve. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I, I honestly can say with all honesty that I've used a dozen different brands of packs. So I can't speak on just about everything, but really, really what it comes down to when choosing a pack, uh, things have changed a, a little bit over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, there was a day when basically you would gather up all of your gear and you would decide how much space your gear takes up. And then you would go looking for a 40 liter or 60 liter or a hundred liter pack. And whatever that pack ended up being, as long as it could hold all all of your gear, you were fine. And things have really, really changed since then. Not only the design of these packs have changed, but most importantly, the frames inside of the packs have changed. Nowadays, we can carry heavy loads with lighter packs, and that really does make a huge, huge difference. I like to say that a backpack is like a pair of shoes. You don't want them to be too small. You don't want them to be too big. They have to fit just right, and they have to get the you know, job done. You don't want to go mountain climbing in a pair of you know, ballet shoes. So you're really honestly looking for the perfect everything. And no matter who you are, no matter how much weight you are actually carrying and how much space your gear takes up, there is the perfect pack out there for you. It's just a matter of what you are looking for. And then it also comes down to materials. The material game, as far as backpacks go, has changed dramatically over the last decade also. We have ultra, ultra, ultra light materials now that cost a fortune and aren't really very durable. But if you're the type of person that wants to save every single gram possible, that might be the route for you. Yeah, I was going to ask you in particular about the ultra light with the material. So you would say, would you give those one really good season of backpacking yeah. or would you you know, say, hey, go on mileage. Hey, this pack will probably take 2,000 miles of being out out on the trail. Well, I feel like we're, I feel like we're probably speaking directly towards one specific material here. So I'll just go ahead and say it. I think we're talking about the Dyneema composite fiber, or most of us just still call it Cuban fiber. Right, right. uh, Which is 
a great, great, great material, and it does have its uses in the backpacking world. I just personally don't think that a backpack is really a good fit for that one specific material. Again, maybe it is for you. If you want to go through hike the you know, Appalachian Trail next year, and you want to blow three or four hundred dollars on a pack that is basically going to be trash by the time you get done, maybe that is the right pack for you. Yes, you will be able to save maybe a half pound over the, the course of your 2,200 mile hike. But I mean, honestly, by the time you get done, your pack will be trashed. Right. And there's, there's one thing about that one specific material. There is no company that will warranty that material for more than a year. And there is a reason why. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. It's just not a very durable material, especially when it comes to a pack. Because packs get beat up, they get dropped, they get thrown around, they get scraped up against bushes and trees. And I mean, we're all hard on our packs, no matter how much we want to baby them. Right. And for me, I use it as a pillow, too, sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, again, you know, tweets it tweet his own and we've all heard the phrase hike your own hike. Right. And yeah, when it comes to that one specific material, it is good for a small group of people, but as a people in whole, it's not necessarily the best material to use for an actual pack. Right. So if I'm a obviously this podcast is geared toward uh section hikers. And I'll be honest with you, I used the same backpack and day pack for a long time until I mean, I just couldn't take the smell anymore. No matter what I did, I just washed it and washed it. I still have them because they mean so much to me. I put so many miles. But for a section hiker who goes out, you know, one, two, three weeks at a time, like I've had my ULA for now two or three years, and it literally looks like I've never used it. So the quality is there. It just depends on how much my, how often you're using the pack. Is that what you would say? Yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, for sure. And again, when you're talking about the materials involved here, the Rovic, which is the traditional material that ULA has been known, you know, famous for, uh, we actually, or ULA actually guarantees these packs for life, and they mean it for life is for life. And it's funny that you mentioned that. I just had a customer that just got done with the continental divide trail and he sent me pictures of his pack and it looks exactly the same as the day that i sent it to him i mean it literally looks the same and this guy he's a younger guy and he really likes to beat on the gear i (laughs) agree i mean i believe it um one more thing about the pack for i mean day packs usually one size fits all kind of thing so if somebody's going wherever they're going to a cottage store, a big box store to look for a pack. How should they measure the pack themselves to make sure they're even starting with the right, you know, size pack? Because the packs are different sizes. The belts are different sizes. Walk us through that aspect of it. Sure. When it comes to an actual day pack, most people, when they hear the term day pack, they automatically think of screenless pack. The vast majority of us aren't carrying more than, say, 15 pounds in that pack if it is a traditional day pack. If you are, if you are going to be carrying more than 15 up to maybe 18 pounds, anything over that, you would want to get something that has a frame in it. But for a traditional day pack, a frameless pack is usually all right. At that point, then yes, um, sizing doesn't become as much of an issue. Uh, when we say frameless packs, you kind of think about the kids and their old school packs full of books and 
pencils and pens. That's kind of what a frameless pack is. There's no actual frame in there. And the purpose of a frame is to transfer weight to your hip belt. So your shoulders aren't carrying all of the weight. Some of that gets transferred to the hips. Right. But as long as you're carrying 15, 18 pounds or less, there is no need to have a frame. Right. So really at that point, then it does become more about the actual capacity of the pack than it does the weight that you are carrying. If you are the type of person that, and I hate to talk about women here, but some women like to carry these big giant purses with way more stuff in them than what they would ever need. Right. And what I've seen is the bigger your pack, you feel like you actually have to like fill it up with stuff. Correct. Yep. Correct. Correct. Personally, I can go to say Zion National Park for a day and I can spend a whole day out and take a couple liters of water and a few bars and maybe a little stove with me if I'm going to be actually down into you know, the canyon hiking, um, I can do the whole thing in maybe like a 10 or 12 liter pack. But, you know, you never know. The weather could change. You might want to take a puppy jacket with you, maybe a couple of extras, you know, base layer type stuff. Uh, 20 liter is usually pretty good. 20, 30 liter tops. Right. All right, Steve. Um, I think you've got us started as far as our backpack goes. I know we could continue talking about this forever and ever. But I really appreciate you chatting with us and everybody. Uh, please go check out Steve's pages on uh, Facebook. They'll also be listed in the show notes. Going forward, we'd love to have Steve answer some of your questions on the podcast. So if you have questions for Steve about backpacks or anything in general about backpacking gear or his Facebook pages, please send them to me via email at jesternc2212 at gmail.com. See you guys on the next episode. I'm wondering if you'd go wandering with me Through the wilderness and woods To where the winds are blowing free Through the darkness of the night Heading toward the morning light I wonder if you'd wander with me And I'll spread the word And you beat the drum We'll round up the truth Get the gang to come And we'll leave the streets And these neighborhoods Head over the river And through the woods You're wondering if I go Wandering with you What kind of trouble We'll get ourselves into Would it be wrong to tag along With a band of vagabonds You wonder if I'd wander with you So I'll spread the word And you beat the drum We'll round up the troops And get the gang to come And we'll leave the streets And these neighborhoods Head over the river
I'm wondering if you'd come wandering my way If you ever get lost or if the trail leads you astray The music of the pack can always bring you back I wonder, can we wander away? And I'll spread the word and you beat the drum Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.